This is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it, and you will find rest for your souls. Hello, friends. Welcome back. Today I'm going to be talking about breakthrough insights. That's a phrase that I came up with to describe times in my life when I had a special revelation, a real breakthrough in understanding about something of the Lord, about the kingdom of heaven. And these things that I'm going to share today, some of them, I think are going to be repetitious because many of the things that have been breakthrough insights in my life have found their way into this podcast. So I'll be talking about special revelations, and I may be repeating myself. I'm aware that we have new listeners joining us regularly, and so some of you may not have heard some of these things, but I think these things bear repeating, and hopefully it's always good to be reminded of these things. Before I get into Breakthrough Insights, I'd like to share an email string that I had with one listener. She's a young mother who has a couple of young kids, and she wrote, I was looking for books about fear and courage for the kids, and all the ones that turned up were about courage to be yourself and overcoming fear of how other people will respond to our authentic selves, which is bizarre to me, she says, because... I don't think I'd call that courage, more like self-indulgence. It's odd how that virtue of courage has been distorted to be more about self-expression, which seems to be the ultimate good for many people these days. I thought this was very insightful, especially considering some of the things that I had talked about recently. So she's trying to find books about courage, and then what she finds are books about, quote, courage to be yourself, unquote. And to be courageous is to overcome fear of how other people are going to think about us being our, quote, authentic selves, unquote. (laughs) Oh, it's really remarkable, isn't it? Well, I replied to her about the time when I spoke at a church not too long ago, and some of the members later asked me how I get people to listen to my story. And I really didn't know how to respond to that because I, I don't even think about my life that way, trying to get people to respond to my story. And I realized as people were asking me this question about my story, it was story with a capital S, something that's really important to high value in certain cultures in America right now to get others to engage with our story. And that's very important to some people. But I'm not an influencer trying to get likes or followers. But some people seem to be driven by that in the Christian world, trying to be influential, trying to have people follow them and listen to their story, having a good story, a story that engages and inspires people. But to my thinking, a Christian shouldn't care about things like that. Our focus is to love Christ more than anyone or anything, and then let him determine the fruit of our abiding in him. How people respond to me or engage with me, that's really not my concern, and I don't care if I have a good story or not. And I wrote to my friend that it made me think of the question that the Moravian brethren asked of their missionaries. This was the question, Are you willing to go, to die, 
and to be forgotten? Well, that question is an excellent question, and I think it flies in the face of asking people to be concerned about our story. That's my question for you. Are you willing to do the will of God, to die in the doing of it, and then to be forgotten? Are you willing? That'll tell a lot about where our hearts are as we move ahead. It's always good to be humbled. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So when I wrote to my friend, and I said it makes me think of this Moravian brethren question that they asked of their missionaries, are you willing to go, to die, and to be forgotten? She replied, it does remind me of my youth group days when some people were held up as examples because they had impressive testimonies. Boy, just my aside here, that has certainly been my experience as well. Somebody who has a really impressive testimony gets extra focus. They have a great story. And she continues, that might have been business marketing creeping in even before social media. Well, I think that's insightful. You're looking for people with a really good story, a real impressive testimony. And then she finishes, I don't want my kids to think that their act of service in the world is being their authentic selves. And that's how it's communicated in kids' materials that I've seen, right? That our act of service is actually being ourselves and overcoming the fear of what people might think of us. Well, that's not courage. That's self-indulgence. And it really is interesting how what used to be a vice, self-centeredness, and self-concern has now been turned into a virtue. (laughs) The courage to be ourselves, overcoming the fear of what other people are going to think about us. It's all self-concern, and the Lord wants us to get away from self-concern. Wants us to surrender ourselves. All right, so that was just a little aside there I wanted to mention before getting into Breakthrough Insights. Now, I heard a phrase, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing it correctly, a Hebrew word, charaz. It's spelled different ways in English letters, but charaz. And it's a Hebrew word for a bead, charaz. Or it can also mean the stringing together of beads. And charaz is a word that's used to describe a style of teaching, putting together various related passages of scriptures, or different pieces of wisdom to teach a valuable lesson, like stringing together beads. In Hebrew, it is called stringing pearls. So you have these pearls, little bits of wisdom that you string together, and then they teach a valuable lesson. That is charaz. And the book of James in the New Testament is formed in this way. I believe it's very helpful to think of the book of James as the New Testament book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs is charaz. It's the stringing together of bits of wisdom that may not appear to be totally connected with one another, and yet as you put them together, you get good lessons there. So James is the New Testament book of Proverbs. And actually, the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus taught, he was teaching in charaz. If you look through the Sermon on the Mount, he's stringing together different bits of wisdom And as you look over the entirety of the Sermon on the Mount, you begin to see this unity that's there. 
stringing together pearls of wisdom, loosely connecting various teaching themes. Now, modern-day sermons often are structured in a very different way, and it's not haraz, it's one particular point that you talk about from various angles. But haraz is stringing together wisdom, and that's sort of what I'm going to do today. I'll string together various bits of wisdom that the Lord has given me over the years, and I think they do all have a theme together. And these are teachings that gave me a breakthrough in my faith and continue to be very important to my walk as a disciple. And as you'll see, as I talk about them, you'll realize that you've already heard most of this before from me, because these are fundamental things that happened in my life. And I hope <laughs> I hope that it's encouraging to you, and I hope I'm not just talking about myself here. I really want the Lord to be glorified, and I want to help you not only draw closer to the Lord, I want to help you do what he's calling you to do. And actually, the first thing that I want to talk about is especially on that theme, and it's witnessing. I had a breakthrough insight on witnessing. When I became a believer, I was in my late 20s when I really started following Jesus. And at one point early on, I was involved in prison ministry. I was given a little booklet called The Four Spiritual Laws, and I was taught how to go through this little booklet, The Four Spiritual Laws, to talk about the spiritual laws and the scriptures, and then lead the person I was talking to to a prayer of repentance. And I was told that that was witnessing. But, you know, really it wasn't witnessing for me. A witness in a court, in a legal setting, is a person who tells what they have seen, what they have experienced. That's what a witness is. When I was going through the four spiritual laws in this little booklet, I wasn't actually talking from my heart, from my experience. I was following a lesson plan, as it were. Not to say that it's a bad lesson plan. There's a lot of very good stuff in there, but I wasn't actually witnessing In addition, at least to the four spiritual laws, I should have been testifying to the things that I personally experienced. So that was a breakthrough insight to me. And as a young believer, I realized I don't have that much to witness to. I know that God has changed my heart, but now I want to start living this life really and be able to truly testify to the things that I personally have experienced. And that's my hope for you. If you don't have a lot that you can really witness to, then ask God to lead you in the kind of life that will make it possible for you to be a real witness for him. If somebody called you in the court and said, we'd like you to witness to the truth of God, Say, okay, well, this is what I've experienced. This is what I know deeply to be true. And actually, that's what I'm doing today with you, is I'm going to be a witness. Some of the things that God has worked into my heart, and I'll share some of the truths that I know deeply from experience, the truth and the power of. The second one is something that I've mentioned before, and this is related to the greatest commandment. In Mark chapter 12, we read, One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. 
And noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, Of all the commandments, which is the most important? And Jesus replied, The most important one is this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, he said, Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Well, what Jesus was referring to here as he answered this question is found in Deuteronomy chapter 6, and this is called the Shema. I've mentioned it before. It's called the Shema, like so many of these Hebrew scriptures. It's called that based on the first word in that passage. Shema is the word for hear. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Shema. And it isn't really communicated very well when reading it. Hear, O Israel, we in America might say, hey, listen to this. Hey, Shema. So it actually is drawing attention to what's to follow. This is very, very important. Listen to this, Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. And listen to this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. It's one of the most famous and recognizable scriptures in the Old Testament. And Jesus is saying the greatest commandment is not religious, as in an outward expression of piety. The greatest commandment is of the heart. Jesus clearly says that the highest commandment is for us to love God, not to do things for him in order to gain his approval, not to stand at a distance and watch him, but to love him. That's the greatest commandment. It's, it's remarkable that Jesus says this in response to this man's question. Of all the commandments, which is the most important? And Jesus says, you need to listen to this. The most important one is God is one and we are to love him. Now, related to this, in my mind, and this is part of this breakthrough insight related to the greatest commandment, is something that you hear every time you listen to my podcast. I talked about it last time, I think. Jeremiah 6.16. This is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it, and you will find rest for your souls. That's Jeremiah 6.16. Well, so how does that relate to the first and greatest commandment? To love the Lord. Well... We stand at crossroads in life. The Lord is saying, stand at that crossroad and look. So you come to a crossroads in life, you come to a place of decision and choosing, and you stop and you stand and you look, and then you ask. That's what God is saying to us. When we come to these points where there are many options ahead of us, we need to stop moving, we need to look at the situation, and we need to ask Him. There's a prayer Ask God, where is the ancient path? Where is a good way? Ask that question. Lord, where is the good way here? What is the right way? And I've learned, when I stand at these crossroads and I look, I say, God, which of these opportunities helps me to love you more? That's the prayer. And that's how this relates to this greatest commandment, to love God with all that I have.
an ancient path, a good way is always going to involve loving God more because that's the greatest commandment. So when I stand and I ask God, oh, I've got these options and opportunities. Like even today, I've got invitations to go to different countries to speak, and I would love to be there. And I need God's wisdom. I can't be everywhere all at once. I need him to tell me, where does he want me? What does he want me walking in? And part of this discernment process is asking him, Lord, which of these things helps me love you more? Which of these things helps me die to myself for your sake? Which of these things help me to lay aside my life, to die to myself and love you more? That was a breakthrough insight for me. And it's actually very useful prayer. Very useful. Because when I pray that prayer, very often the answer comes to me quite quickly. The will of God becomes very clear because I can say, well, if I do this, then it's selfish or it's easy or it's not of the Spirit, it's of my flesh. But if I go this other way, then I have to trust God. I have to live by faith. I have to walk with him. I know that in that direction, I'll be more humble. And so that helps me to discern the will of God. One of the beauties of Jeremiah chapter 6, 16, is that God answers this prayer. When we truly stand at the crossroads and we look and then we ask him, he will answer that prayer. And then when we walk in what he reveals, we'll have rest, spiritual rest. Well, that's my encouragement to you. And perhaps you're having a breakthrough insight right now as you listen to what I'm sharing. When you're at that crossroads, pray that prayer, Lord, what helps me to love you more? And I encourage you, once he answers that prayer, you do it. Whatever it takes, you be obedient. Because then you're going to be spiritually at rest and you'll be standing on a rock. Which actually leads me to the next thing I was going to share. I didn't even think about that. Wonderful how it all fits together. Here are several related scriptures. I came to each one separately at a different time in my life. But they all have this common theme of doing the will of God. And most of this will be a repetition of what I've shared earlier, but here we come to it again. Matthew chapter 7, verse 24, Jesus says, Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But... Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Well, I've said it before. There is a song that talks about standing on the rock, a little children's song, Jesus is the Rock, which is true. However, I believe it's a misapplication of Matthew chapter 7, verse 24 and following. Jesus says, Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on a rock. 
But people who hear the words of Jesus and do not put them into practice, those people are like a foolish man who built his house on sand. One house does not fall, and the other house falls with a great crash. What's the difference? Everything is the same except for one thing. Hearing the words of Jesus, the rain and the streams and the wind, that's all the same, the storm. The difference is putting the words of Jesus into practice, doing what Jesus commands, not just knowing what he commands, but actually doing it. Do you feel like you're on sand? You feel like your life is shaky and you're not quite sure what's up and what's down or what's true or what's solid? Then do the will of God. Put into practice the teachings of Jesus. Do it, and you're going to be on a rock. Sometimes we may think, well, I need to get on a rock before I can be obedient. But that's not the process that God's revealed, honestly. We need to do what he says, and then we're on a rock. Put it into practice. Submit ourselves to his guidance and leadership and direction, and do it. This is what Jesus says. And remember, he's just finished the Sermon on the Mount. He's been speaking to many, many people, and he's given great teachings and things that are new revelations and insights, and he ends up saying, you have to do what I say. Don't just listen to it. Because the rain is going to come, and the streams are going to rise up, and the wind and the storm is going to blow and beat against you. You're going to have hard times, but you won't fall if you do what I say, if you put it into practice. At the end of every podcast, my daughter reads that quote from Jesus, Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Well, this is a a breakthrough insight for me that we love the Lord with all that we have, not just our minds, but with our bodies and our spirits and our souls. Everything is encompassed by the will of God, living in the kingdom. Jesus gave this same teaching in another time in Luke chapter 6. He said, why do you call me Lord and not do what I say? Well, why indeed? Why would we call him Lord and not do what he says. That's what the word Lord means. He's the boss. He's in charge. I'm going to call him Lord. I need to do what he says. Related to this is one of the most misquoted and misunderstood scriptures in the Bible. I'm not talking about John 3.16, though that is very often misunderstood. This is John chapter 8, verse 31. I attended the University of Texas in Austin for graduate school. And on one of the buildings there, carved in stone, it says, The truth shall set you free. Well, that's a part of John chapter 8, verse 31. It's interesting that the words of Jesus are carved in stone at a university, and yet it's misleading. They took a part of a sentence that Jesus said and set it in stone, but it doesn't really mean what people think it means. The truth shall set you free. In common culture, we'll hear a little bit more of what Jesus said. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. But that's not what Jesus said. Well, he said that, but that's not all that he said. 
and it actually miscommunicates the meaning of what he said. He did say, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. But let's look at what he actually said. John chapter 8, verse 31. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, and here's the quote, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. This is an if-then statement. If we do one thing, then the other will happen. If we hold to his teaching, then we will know the truth, and then the truth will set us free. This is an if-then-then-then statement. If you hold to my teaching, then you really are my disciples, and then you will know the truth, and then the truth will set you free. But what prefaces all of that? If you hold to my teaching. That's what Jesus said. So here's a very interesting thing. If we do what he commands, we have freedom. If we surrender ourselves to him, if we give our will to him, and if we do what he says, then we're not bound anymore. We actually have freedom. I'll read it again. To the Jews that had believed him, Jesus said, quote, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. If we do not do what he says, then we will not know the truth. And we're not really disciples if we don't do what he says. If we don't do what he says, we won't know the truth, and we will remain in bondage, tied down, restricted, unable to be what God has created us to be. There's a big if there, and I've mentioned it several times. At some point, I'm going to do a teaching called The Ifs of Jesus, and this is one of the big ifs. If we hold to his teaching, then we really are his disciples. If we hold to his teaching. And if we do that, then we're going to know the truth, and then we're going to walk in freedom. Related to this theme again is what is known as the Great Commission found in Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 and following. Jesus came to them and he said, quote, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, and therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Well, I used to think that he said, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them everything that I have commanded you. But that is not what he said. He did not tell us, his followers, to teach others what he commanded them. He said, Teach them to obey everything that I have commanded you. Teach people to do the will of God, to actually do it. That's the Great Commission. That's what he wants me to do, to help people keep his word, hold tightly to it, 
and live by it, not just know what he said. Like I said earlier, to stand at a distance, to stand there and look at the Word of God and say, I agree that that is true, but then not to actually do it. Because when the hard times come, you just can't stand. So this is the Great Commission. This is the will of Jesus for you and for me. If you are a follower of Jesus, if you have submitted yourself to his headship, his commandment to you is to go help other people do what he says. Teach them to obey everything that he's commanded. We do need to teach people what he says, but it's not enough to just say, this is what the Lord says, and then give a pop quiz with some boxes that you can check off to show that you've got the knowledge about what Jesus said. We have to do it. Well, I think I'll wrap this one up here for now. The next time I come back to this theme, don't know when that'll be, I'll share some other breakthrough insights about loving God and obedience and more about freedom and the philosophies of this world, breakthrough insights that have been so very helpful to me. And in closing, I just want to ask you this question. I want you to think about this. What are your breakthrough insights? I encourage you to sit down, maybe with a piece of paper and a pen, and write down what are these things that you know that you know that you know the Lord has taught you, that have worked deep into your spirit. What are these things that God has given you, these insights that really break you out of the old way that you were? What are those things? Well, this brings to mind something that the Apostle Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 3. And I'll read an extended section here in order to give context for the main point that I want to bring up here. Philippians chapter 3, starting in verse 10. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection of the dead. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet having taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. That last sentence is what I want to focus on here. Let us live up to what we have already attained. What are those breakthrough insights that God has given you? What are the things that he's shown you? foundational, strong, deep in your spirit, things that you know he has shown you. I encourage you, live up to what you've already attained. And the Bible says that we're going to go from glory to glory. We'll move on. We'll keep moving ahead to forget what's behind and press on towards what's ahead. And let's live up to what we've already attained. And I pray for myself and for you that God will continue to give us breakthrough insights more and more revelation of him and his character, the ways that he works, his will, his kingdom. There is so much more for us 
Paul himself says that he didn't consider that he had already attained those things, but he's going to keep fighting on, keep moving ahead, keep abiding in the Lord and growing according to his strength. So my friends, let us live up to what we have already attained. And I pray that God will continue to reveal to you his will and his ways. Because as it says there in Jeremiah 6.16, when we walk in his ways, we will always have rest for our spirits. Amen. Jesus said to his disciples, Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Thank you for listening, and God bless you all.